You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. going to share um, our story today. It's God's story, um, what we call our redemption story. Um, and really, it is just all about the goodness of God. And that is what we hope y'all hear today as we share. Um, I think every good story kind of starts with the background, right? You got to know a little bit about these people. So Brad and I both grew up in a small town. We've known each other most of our lives. Um, we grew up in Wilkinson County, which is about 40 miles east of here, Um, have always known each other, you know, would see each other around the ball fields, the rec fields, all that kind of stuff growing up. Had some, interestingly enough, his best friend, I was best friends with his sister, so we kind of ended up in a lot of the same place at the same time. All that to say, we started dating in high school, so we're high school sweethearts. Um... And yeah, it's been quite the ride. It's been a long time for sure. Um, so we were just kind of doing our thing. And then Brad's going to pick up and tell you um, what happened in the year 2000. Yeah, Jody and I, like she said, met in high school. Uh, you know, and then um, early on uh, in the year 2000, uh, I had graduated from John Miller. She went to GMC and stuff. And uh, we were both uh, had gone to college. I went to Georgia College initially uh, to play baseball was my goal, but um, some things drew me away from that, and I quit. And, Thursday uh, nights. Yeah, Thursday nights in downtown area and stuff, <laughs> you know. So, um, and uh, so in that, I was going to school uh, one day. Uh, I grew up in a loving home. My, my parents took me to church all the time when the doors were open. We were in church. My dad owned a small heating and air company, and all he did was just provide for his family. Um, I grew up, you know, with, with parents that loved the Lord and, and raised me right, and I, but I was in college and started making some poor choices, started being drawn by what the world had to offer and what the people I had surrounded myself were doing, which led me down a path of um, making choices that I said I would never make. And one of the things that, that led to that was in the year 2000, I was in class, and I got a, back then it was pagers, I got a page to uh, call someone, and left class and called and they said go straight to the hospital there's been an accident uh your dad he said your dad and your brother are hurt so i jump in the truck and i go over to the hospital in millersville and i run in the emergency room and my brother is sitting in the emergency room very upset so i initially knew he wasn't hurt or a part of the accident and he just pointed to the back and i hit the window and the lady buzzed back and i opened the door and what i saw completely took my breath away I, I pulled up because I saw a man laying on a hospital bed that had, was completely burned. He had third-degree burns over 75% of his body, and I just saw him, and it hit me. That's my dad. The guys were putting in a heating and air system, and some glue caught on fire, and he was, he was burned trying to put the fire out. And in that moment, my heart was hardened. Because I grew up in the church, but most of the stuff I heard in the church was a hellfire and brimstone Southern Baptist type of church where if you sin, you burn in hell. You got to be saved. You got to read your Bible every day. Very performance driven is what I thought. And if anybody performed in my book, it was my dad. He didn't drink. He didn't cuss. He took us to church. He was a modest man. So he was the last person in this world that deserved that. Anybody deserved it, I thought it was me, especially based on the life that I was living. 
So we were told at that moment they were going to send him to Augusta to the doctor's burn center, and he would live. Uh, he, lived, he lived for five days after that. Um, in five days, I had begun to get my hope up, begin to think, well, man, he's not going to want to live the life he's going to have to live as a result of the burns that he received. But the selfish part of me wanted him here. I was a 21-year-old kid that was scared to death, but I didn't know how to tell anybody that. I thought I could perform, I could act like everything was okay. So five days later, when my dad died, my world was turned upside down. And I was a lost kid that did not know what to do. And that led me down a road of, of hiding stuff, of performing, of acting like everything was okay that nearly cost me my life and everything that I love. And so um, after that loss, as it tends to do, life went on. Um, we got engaged at the end of 2001, married in July of 2002, um, just living the newlywed life, you know, setting my table, putting my china out, cooking some dinner, having people over. Um, you know, we had successful careers, we bought a house, we got a dog, eventually we had two kids. It was the American dream. Everybody. Let me just interject right quick and say that, the, and Jody's very much a list maker, so she'll make lists I, of I what to order. say. I go in order, he does not. And I don't, it just says Brad, like for me to talk. So, um, <laughs> Because I think it's important to throw in here, like things didn't just change from 2000 to my dad and me going through that to then all of a sudden, you know, we're married, everything's going good. The reason that is, is because I was very good at hiding things. He was functioning. I was, was a function. I was functioning, I could hide things, so I, I was hurting but I took the stance and let everybody know, well, well, life, things happen for a reason, and God doesn't put more on us than we can take. I knew exactly what to say, but I was never living it. But I could convince her and other people that I was living it. When my yeah. dad died, it's actually going to push me closer to the Lord, because life is only this long and eternity. Like I, I knew what to say, but the whole time I was not living the way that everybody thought I was. While God was blessing me with what she's talking about, I was still running from him, just lying. And so because he was so functional, I really wasn't aware of what was happening because he didn't miss a beat. I mean, he did everything I needed him to do. You know, he showed up, he went to church, he took care of kids. I mean, he did, you know, what I needed him to do. So I think that's important to know that, like, the picture of an addict is not what we all immediately think in our minds of somebody that's under the bridge. Um, these are people, you know, that, that you go to work with, that you go to church with. I mean, it can happen literally to anybody. And so um, I didn't really know all that was going on, but we were just kind of, again, on the outside looked pretty perfect. Um, and I was just covering up and keeping up, right? Covering up like anything that was going wrong. I didn't want anybody to know what was happening, just trying to keep up um, with everybody else. And um, so that, but behind the scenes, like we had a really big secret. Um, we were falling apart. Brad had an addiction. I was codependent, and life was a mess. Um, I think we have a picture from um, 2012. Yeah. Um, so now that you kind of have our background of all that was going on, this is just your daily reminder that the pictures you see on social media do not tell the whole story. Because nobody would have looked at this picture of this sweet little family and assumed that all of that was going on in the background. Um, so again, that was 2012. That was kind of right before everything sort of fell apart. Yeah, and I mean, as a result of that, you know, me talking about how good I could keep up um, images and performance and stuff, um, when Jody showed this picture and we were, we were talking about what we were going to say, and I looked at that picture, you know, I stepped back and said, well, what do I see? 
Because when you, when you look at that, it looks like a happy family, right? You see a dad who's there with his kids. They were roughly four and seven at the time, maybe three and six. And, um, you know, uh, but what I see is a guy that's hurting. I see a guy that's completely lost. The guy in that picture has a pocket full of pills. There's no telling what he's hiding on his cell phone, the lies that he's living, but he's keeping up an image because he's always around. I was always there. I could hold my kids. I could make them laugh. I could make them smile because I was always physically present, but I was never there spiritually or really emotionally and stuff. I thought that if I could put a smile on their face, it makes me feel better about myself, so life must be okay because I've convinced everybody that everything is okay. The guy in that picture's been through about four or five different treatment centers. I've been to detox a few times, been through a 30-day program, outpatient program, and I just want to say that because until I got to a point of really letting people know me, I was never gonna move past this. What image do people see when something is posted on social media? or people look at things, that was the only thing that I was worried about, not who am I really. Am I really who my kids deserve? Or who my wife thinks that I am? Or am I living a life of wearing a mask and performing and wanting people to think I'm something that inside I know that I'm not? Yeah, so that it was, about, it was probably a 12-year cycle, about 12 years that he was um, in and out of rehabs, detox centers. Um, we, you know, he would go somewhere, come home, stay on the wagon for seven or eight months. Um, I would think we were cured, and then something else um, would happen. every two years. Yeah, so and, um, for us, in February 2013 is when it finally all fell apart. Mm. Um, because even with a functional addict or alcoholic, you can only keep all those... Oh, fix my thing. You're good. You can only keep all those plates spinning for so long. It reminds me of the guy in the circus that's spinning all the plates up in the air. You know, you can only keep those going for so long before they come crashing down. And See so, what for, happened. you were spinning plates and yes, so, yeah, not the microphone. I was trying to spin those plates. Um, but yeah, so for us, it was February 2013 when it all fell apart. Um, and thank goodness we were in counseling. Um, cannot recommend a good counselor enough. Um, that is so important. Even people that think they're good and healthy could benefit from a counselor, especially if you're facing something hard. And um, we had been in counseling with him, and he told us about a place called No Longer Bound. It's a residential um, treatment program in Cumming, Georgia. And um, so I dropped him off there on February 21st. And I can remember at this point, I was really pretty much done. Like it had been too much for too long. I was tired of it all. Um, didn't even, I had taken him to lots of programs in the past, but at this point I didn't even want to drive him and drop him off. Like I was gonna have a friend do that. And I remember having that phone call with No Longer Bound and they said, listen, I know that you're kind of over it, but if you would come, I think it would be a good thing. Cause we are a different kind of program. We're about the family. Um, so I agreed and I dropped him off on February 21st of 2013. She sure did, um, and uh, I, I had gone to detox at uh, Anchor Hospital a couple of weeks before that to be detoxed and everything, and then and getting out, um, I knew that I had to go to a long-term program, and you know, through that performing and wearing masks and everything that I did, y'all, I could be a, a rehab MVP. Mm -hmm. I could convince everybody while I was in there that he's going to be fine. 
he's going to be great, Brad's got this, you know, if anybody's got it, he does, and then I just keep that up for a little while and then start slipping back into the things that I was doing. So I thought I could perform again. You know, Jody said early on that uh, when we were together through the things that we had been through was her being codependent and stuff as well, and I took advantage of that. I knew that for a long time she was never really going to let people know what was going on because it meant too much to her that she wouldn't tell people what I just told you about that guy in the picture because of how it might make her look. Because we feel like we have to keep up that facade. Right. Because it may be part of her fault. Mm-hmm. If anybody thinks that, then I'm just not going to let them in because I don't want to accept any of the blame or people to think that something's wrong with me. And I completely took advantage of that. God put me in a place in 2013 of Jody finally loving me enough to do the hard thing and to say, I love you, but I'm done. I'm through. She said, if you ever want to see... Lawson and Bella again, or be in their life, you'll go through this program that this counselor told us about. It's a 10-month residential in-house. You'll live there, and I mean, 10 months was forever. You know, that was the last thing that I wanted to do. But part of me knew that I needed it because I had already tried 30 days, 60 days, six months, da-da-da, so I knew that there was something had to change. But I still thought, well, I can go in here and I can perform and I can get my relationship back with my kids and then I can eventually weasel my way back into getting her to like me again. And we're high school sweethearts, right? I know how to talk the talk and what to do. But the way that program was designed, when I walked in, they said 60 to 90 days of no contact. So for 60, 90 days, you won't even write a letter. You won't cell phone. You don't have a phone. You don't watch TV, like nothing. So you're, you're surrendering and you're submitting for at least 60 to 90 days before you ever even hear from her. Well, I thought, well, that's a while, but, you know, I can do that too, right? Put something on me, I'll show you I can do it. Well, 60 days came and went, 90 days came and went, nothing. I had not heard one word. So in my mind, the reason I hadn't heard anything is because she was done. She told me she was through and I believed it. Well, when 90 days came and went, I said, well, I guess she changed her mind about those kids too. And God completely put on my heart, well, Brad, what are you going to do? What if she does take the kids? What if she says, you know what? I I mean, I'm listening to everybody that's told me to leave you for years and everything that you've done. I'm taking the kids too. And I'm protecting me and them. I'm done. God said, what are you going to do if she does that? Are you going to go back to doing the things that you've been doing? Look at where it's gotten you at this point. What more do you think it's going to cost you? And I knew the only thing it could cost me at this point was my life. And I didn't want to go back. God said, if you'll surrender, I can be enough in your life. And I was like, hold on now, what? If you surrender, I can be enough in your life. And I thought, well, what does that look like? For me, that means if I could sit down at the end of the day in a recliner or anything and lean back and have peace without drugs, alcohol, sex, money, sin, whatever this world has to offer, just have peace and letting God be enough. I said, there's no way. And all that program would do was say, just trust the process and surrender. So I did. And at day 107, they walked in that morning on a Saturday and said, Brad, you got a visit. I was like, what? <laughs> they said, you've got a visit. And it was her. And she came up on day 107 to see me. And I didn't know if she was there to serve me papers I didn't know if she was there to just cuss me out one last time and let me know how she really felt. I don't cuss. You know we're in church, right? (laughs) I want to stay. Keep going. I mean, I I apologize. (laughs) So when, 
at day 107 in getting that visit, y'all, I just want to point out that it didn't, none of this happened until I completely surrendered. Until I got to a place of saying, if she does leave, God, I want you to be enough in my life, no matter what. And ironically, the same was true for me back home. So meanwhile, um, I'm back home with a full-time intense job, um, a four-year-old, a seven-year-old, a dog, a house to take care of, all the things. And um, I'm kind of going through a roller coaster of emotions. And like I fully believe, I mean, that emotions are a gift from God. And um, all the angry emotions that I felt in the beginning, like, man, that fueled me. Because I couldn't, I had these two kids. I couldn't like crumble up in the corner like maybe I felt like doing. And I just had to keep going. Um, and I had a very wise friend that said to me, like, you know, you really don't have to make any groundbreaking decisions right now. Because he's gone. The chaos has been removed. You can focus on yourself and the kids, so why not just be? You know, just be right now. And so I thought, well, okay, maybe I'll do that. So I did just that. I prayed a ton. I sought a lot of wise counsel, continued to see my counselor, saw my pastor, um, talked to mentors, you know, friends, women I admired and respected, and just prayed. Um, and so I guess by probably April or May, um, he had got a soft in my heart. And so that I at least decided, okay, when I get that call, I am going to go. If nothing else, I'm curious, right, to see what's been happening um, all this time. So when I made my mind up about that, um, I called on my friends, my sweet sisters that were prayer warriors and praying for me and for my family every day. And I said, I want you all to pray real specific with me. Um, I feel like there's been, <laughs> we've been together for a long time. There's been a lot of time that's been kind of wasted through this addiction. I need to know the moment I lay eyes on him. So when that call comes and I get that visit, I need to know the moment I lay eyes on him that God's doing a work and that he's calling me to stay in my marriage. Um, and so we all started praying that, you know, and I think I learned that that's what you pray for. You don't pray for certainty, but you pray for clarity. Nothing in life is certain. He's not always going to give us certainty, right, with our circumstances at least. But if we pray for clarity, he's always going to give that. So that's kind of where we camped mm -hmm. out. Um, and ironically enough, God taught us the same lesson on both sides of that storm. So we were in the same storm, but on very different sides of it. There was Brad who'd been plucked out of his home, sent away to this program, had no idea if I was coming or going or if he was going to see the kids again. No contact with outside world. Then here I am at home trying to pick up all the pieces, keep it going. And just like the Lord looked at him and said, well, what are you going to do? What if she leaves and you don't see those kids again? Are you going to go back to your old ways? Or are you going to surrender and let me be enough? He looked at me and said, what about you? Are you going to get angry and bitter and resentful over what's going on right now? Are you going to trust? Are you going to surrender and let me be enough? And so thankfully... Um, we, I did. We both surrendered. And it was through mm -hmm. his strength. It was not our flesh at all, but it was in the strength of the Lord that we were able to do that. Um, and he, the Lord just taught me so much in that season about praying bold prayers. Um, because bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. So don't be afraid to get big and bold when you're praying or specific. Um, back then, I was praying little timid prayers. Like, God, please just get him sober. Just, just let him get clean and, and send him home. And now I say that God was probably looking down going, is that all you want? Because I can do so much more with his life. But that's all I knew, um, how to pray. And I'm so, God, I'm so glad that we serve a God that does immeasurably more. Um, and, you know, when I look back at, at the course of that year, 
Um, we know that God's timing is always perfect, um, but man, his timing was so sweet. We serve a God of details, and his timing through that year was so sweet as far as when we got visits. And so that day 107, when I got to go, I remember pulling up, um, you know, not real sure where to go, started walking down towards a group of people, and I saw Brad, who was sitting on a picnic table, and he got up started coming towards me, and tears were streaming down his face, and God answered that bold prayer I've been praying so big, because I literally knew in that moment, within the first moment of laying eyes on him, just like I prayed, that God was doing work, and he was calling me to stay. And, um, and you know, again, serving a God that does immeasurably more, he even went a step further and said he was calling me to stay, but also he had something else planned for us, something that was going to be big, and it was going to require both of us. And so um, I was so, so thankful for that. And so the, the perfect timing of the seasons, we got those first visits in the summer. Um, like I said, I went first to kind of fill things out before I took the kids. Took the kids that next week. I think we have a picture of the first visit um, when they got to see their daddy for the first time in five months. And um, I think that picture is pretty self-explanatory. Mm. Everybody was pretty joyful and, and pretty happy. And so that was a sweet time. We got to visit all summer long while the kids were out of school. Then in like August, when school was ramping back up and all their activities, he went into another part of the program um, that was again, zero contact. And so that was great because we were busy and he was busy doing his work. Um, but I can say for sure in, in the fall, even though I had that certainty, um, the enemy, through every dart he could throw to try to kind of throw me off course. And what that looked like when my husband was going, gone from the house was that everything that could have gone wrong within the house or with my car, it did. Like that fall, it was definitely kind of spiritual warfare because he was doing such good work in that inner healing class, and my heart had certainly been softened, and I couldn't wait um, for him to come home. I mean, I was busting tires. I was on the way to work one morning on Vineville Avenue, and I busted two tires at the same time. That's also because she can't drive. My dishwasher and broke. I mean, and it was the a... Lord, I mean, no, it was, was an attack. It was still. for sure the enemy because it was such a gentle, like I just barely, oh, sure. barely hit that thing. Two tires. Anyway, um, two tires. Um, the dishwasher broke. My car, I had lots of problems with my car. Um, one day, Lawson threw a baseball through the front door, like the glass pane, and I'll never forget that another part of this story is just the resiliency of kids, because I remember coming home that day, and it was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, and the sweet little babysitter was like, I'm so sorry, he was throwing this ball, and it went right through it, and I just sat down and just like put my hands in my face, and I just cried, and a few minutes I felt Lawson's little seven-year-old arms wrap around me, and he was like, Mom, it's okay, it's not like our family's broken. I went, Lawson, isn't it? He was like, no, Mom, me and you and Bella get to be together. We get to see Dad on the weekends. You know, like it was great. You know, kids love staying in a hotel, and that's what we got to do every weekend, um, on the bright side. mostly for that year. So I'm so thankful. God certainly used his optimistic outlook mm -hmm. all throughout that journey. Um, so we kind of got to the end of that year, and it was December 2013. You want to pick up? Yeah, and so in 2013, you know, I spent that whole year just looking at the root cause of the issue. Why was I doing what I was doing? Not what are you doing, but why? So why do you continue to run back to drugs and alcohol? Why do you continue to search the things that you're searching for instead of just letting God be enough? And the biggest difference is, you know, if you look at the contrast of those two pictures, one of them was taken, you know, before I ever went to No Longer Bound. The other one, the first time I got visits there, both guys have every reason this world has to offer to be happy. 
to be content, you know, loving wife, kids, job, money, all of that stuff, but one's miserable. That no matter how much of that I got, I would still have been miserable. And then the other one is just glad to have a visit from his two kids and from his wife, who he thought he was going to be divorced from and still wasn't sure about divorce, but was just happy to see them because the second guy, God is starting to fill his life. God was enough in my life. So the other was a blessing. It wasn't what I was trying to use to make me happy. I'm not trying to use people in order to be happy because I'm okay no matter what. The way it's designed, too, is in 2013, that, that December, that program doesn't tell you you start on this date and you finish on this date. They said just like 60 to 90 days, it's going to be about 10 months. So they don't say on December blank, you're done. It was when we say you're done or when everybody gets together and realizes or feels like you have graduated or you've completed, then we will let you go home. Well, coming up on Christmas, what do you think I was wanting to do? Go home. But I knew I had surrendered to the place this long, I was going to keep surrendering. So they called our class in, which is about five or six guys, and they said it was the week before everybody was going to supposed to get to go home for Christmas and all. And they said, Brad, um, we don't think uh, it's a good idea for you to go home for a visit on Christmas. We think we're worried that you're going to go home and stay and you won't come back. And I was thinking, yeah, you, you might be right. Um, but I didn't say anything because I had surrendered to them and knew, well, whatever they decide, I'm willing to do. Every bit of me wanted to run home. Every bit of me wanted to go home to, to be okay. I've done this much. You know, God's restoring my life. I'm good to go. But I didn't. I continued to surrender because if I had done it to this point, I was going to finish strong. And so I said, you know what, whatever y'all decide, I'm okay with, and I'll follow through. And they said, so we're not going to let you go home for a visit on Christmas. We're going to let you go home and stay home. And I just lost it. Mm -hmm. I broke down crying because I was so excited and knew that, that that day was finally here after a year of being away from them that uh, I could go home and be with my kids and my family on Christmas. So I picked him up on December 21st, um, just in time for Christmas, and um, that was the sweetest Christmas. We try to remember that Christmas every year, because even with little kids who were four and seven, not one of us cared a thing about what was under that tree, but it was about who was around the tree and mm -hmm. who was together. And so mm -hmm. we try to remember that um, year after year. It was a really sweet time. Um, 2014 rolled around, but I was just kind of getting acclimated to being back home because um, that's kind of a big deal when you're gone for like a year and then you're coming back and, you know, I've kind of got my little routines and things I'm doing to run the house and then he's back and so he was making the kids lunches and taking kids to school and just getting re-acclimated. Um, and I remember, I think we have a picture from that first Easter, Easter 2014, our church just so happened to do a theme of redeemed, um, which was kind of fitting um, for what we'd been through that mm -hmm. previous year and what we'd seen. Um, and so Brad just got acclimated to, to being home. And I'll never forget the day I went home from lunch, for lunch, and he said, I think I'm being called to open a program like the one I went to. Um, he wanted to help other men find what he found. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I remember being home and just getting used to being back. Uh, I had changed so much, but everyone else had to. And God used in my calling, um, God used when I revealed it to Jody in the way that she responded to me, I think to um, affirm that he was calling me to that. Because when, when she sat across from me, I'd come home from, for lunch and, you know, I'm doing that for the kids, not really working and providing and, and stuff like I felt like I needed to, but I'm being called to start a ministry. I'm like, Lord, when I tell her this, she's going to look at me and say, you're crazy. Why don't you just go to work and provide for us? Like, what are you thinking? But she didn't do that. When I mentioned it to her, she said, 
okay. And I said, are you sure? Because I don't know what that looks like. It might be, you know, us meeting with guys in the house or you cooking breakfast for somebody. Like, I have no idea. Are you sure that, that you're in? And she said, yes. If, God's, if God is calling us to it, he'll get us through it. And I believe in that. And so it was definitely an affirmation for me that that was my calling because I could do so good inside the bubble of a program, but once I got out, I would fall flat on my face. So I felt called to start something that's going to help men live a life of recovery, not just changing inside a program, but true change from the inside because I had been rehabbed time and time again. I would go to rehab. Well, to rehab is to return to a former state. Who I was when I started using is why I started using. So I'd go in somewhere, get rehab back to who I was before I went in. Matter of time, I'd make the same choices. Today, I stand here being regenerated, a new creature in Christ. I'm no longer who I was when I went in that program, and I wanted to open something to help men in this area find and receive the same thing and walk it out in their daily life to truly be changed from the inside out. So um, in June of 2015, Crossroads Recovery Ministries was born. I think we've got our logo and a picture of um, one of the, a group um, of the men that, that we were able to serve. Um, and so you want to tell them a little bit about what Crossroads does? And yeah, so just... what we do is uh, Crossroads is set up uh, as a different structure to help men not just do okay inside the bubble, but they learn to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, they make their bed, we have a morning devotion, they journal every morning. After that devotion, though, guys go to work. Um, they get to, we find them jobs within the community and stuff. They go to work and work during the day. We help them learn to budget money to not just be dependent on a program while I'm in somewhere. You know, one of the hardest things in being in a program is that, like, you may be working on yourself, but somebody else is doing all of the life stuff for you. You know, like programs that I would go in and say I would have a room or an area to keep clean. Well, once you get out of this program and you go home, Lord willing, you don't just have a room to keep clean. you got a house to keep clean. So we're trying to teach guys that and teach them how to work during the day but come back every evening. So they, the, the building they live in, but every evening when they get back around 5 or 6 o'clock, they have structure in the evening times. We go to local meetings or we have in-class discussions and we have actually our own uh, curriculum and stuff that we've designed based on no longer bound, the program that I went through, we kind of tweak their curriculum and stuff to apply it to men who are working during the day um, to truly help them change. Because we believe that if you can change a man, you can change a family and have a generational impact. Because the choices that I make today, my kids' kids' lives are going to be different because of those choices. And Lord willing, they'll never realize how close their lives came to being completely different. And so we teach that to men, that we, their lives can be different and, and has an impact for generations. Because one of the biggest lies that we believe is that I'm not hurting anyone. I'm just doing it to myself. It's not true. God's not using you to change someone else, or maybe somebody's watching you that you don't even realize is watching you who's making poor choices just because of what they see. So I don't believe that lie today. I help men make better choices and believe that their choices change generations. And you know, when we started, um, we only had our story which is a pretty cool story, but um, now seven years later, we have hundreds of redemption stories about men and the lives of their families that have been changed um, through this work. And Psalms 146.7 says, the Lord sets the prisoners free. Mm. Um, that is so true. I'm so thankful that I've had a front row seat to Brad's story and seeing that happen um, for him. And now we get to see prisoners set free on a daily basis at Crossroads. And so that's pretty cool. Um, you know, hopefully through our story, you have sensed 
God's power, but I hope you also notice that he is such a God of details. Um, if you remember me sharing in the beginning that we um, were caught in this cycle of addiction for about 12 years. Um, I recently learned that the number 12 has spiritual significance. 12 is thought to be a number that symbolizes God's power and authority. It's also known to symbolize completeness. Numerically, it represents completion and harmony, a symbol of balance. Um, there are a lot of days that, that we are still a little bit off balance, probably, mm -hmm. but the difference now is that God stays in the center of it all. And if we hadn't experienced the storm, we would not know his heart. Like, we would not know him like we do today. So I can sit here now and say it was worth every bit um, of what we went through to, to be where we are now. <laughs> it was worth every bit of that um, to be where we are today. And so um, I actually wrote a book. Um, it's called Life in Pieces. It, it is our story. Um, I always tell people it's not going to be a New York's bestseller. But it might be. Maybe, but, mm. but it is just an act of obedience. I knew that God was calling me. A lot of it is my journal entries. I journaled the whole year. That's how we knew God was teaching us that same lesson because he journaled, I journaled. He came home, we compared our journals and realized that little <laughs> neat fact that God was teaching us that. So, um, you know, I, I just think um, it's, it's more in our story for sure and God's goodness and his faithfulness, um, but for sure I think can help somebody that finds himself, a wife um, or family member that finds himself in that position, um, because I just really share from my heart just the raw emotion um, of it all. So it is available on Amazon if anybody is interested mm -hmm. in reading that. Yep, um, you know, I'm so glad I gave her all that material to be able to he, write a book and everything. He is my um, main character, you know, so. for sure. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing is just I, I always love to point out and say that God saved my soul. He used Jody to save my life. And in saying that, if anybody is struggling with a loved one, either telling the hard truth and saying something and being honest, Please love them enough to save their life. And don't worry about what it looks like or the optics of it. And if there's a, a man or woman or anyone here who needs to reach out and get some help, reach out and get some because it's worth it. And God can use everything that you have been through to make you who he wants you to be. Because whatever you're going through, you were built for this. I love to say that some ships were built for smooth sailing and we ain't one of them. We weren't built for a catamaran cruise. We were built for high seas and strong storms. But guess what? You were built for whatever you're going through too. And I hope you find some hope in our story. Um, and again, we are so grateful for the opportunity to get up here and tell it. And we love y'all.